1: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Jameson Wellness Conference call to discuss the financial results for the second quarter of 2021. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question-and-answer session and instructions will be given at that time. Please be advised that the reproduction of this call in whole or in part is not permitted without written authorization from the company. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. On the call today from management are Mike Pilato, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Chris Snowden, Chief Financial Officer and Corporate Secretary. Before I turn the call over to Mr. Pilato, please note that a press release covering the company's second quarter 2021 financial results was issued this afternoon, and a copy of that press release can be found in the Investor Relations section on the company's website. Please note that the prepared remarks which will follow contain forward-looking statements and management may make additional forward-looking statements in response to your questions. These statements do not guarantee future performance and therefore undue reliance should not be placed upon them. We refer you to all risk factors contained in Jameson's press release issued this afternoon and in filings with the Canadian securities administrators for a more detailed discussion of the factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projections and any forward-looking statements. The company undertakes no obligation to publicly correct or update the forward-looking statements made during the presentation to reflect future events or circumstances except as it may be required under applicable securities laws. Finally, finally, we would like to remind listeners that the company may refer to certain non-IFRS financial measures during this teleconference a reconciliation of these non-IFRS financial measures was included with the company's press release issued earlier today. Also, please note that unless otherwise stated, all figures discussed today are in Canadian dollars and are occasionally rounded to the nearest million. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Pilato to get started. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Thank you, Nora, and good afternoon, everyone. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today discuss our second quarter 2021 financial results. I'm honored to be on the call with you today for the first time as the president and CEO of Jamison Wellness. Before I share some highlights from a strong second quarter and turn the call over to Chris to provide some in-depth financial results and guidance, I'd like to take a moment to thank the incredible Jamison Wellness team for continuing to deliver strong results and staying extremely focused through the second quarter and the third wave of the pandemic. Our entire team continues to work tirelessly during these times to ensure we are doing everything possible to meet the consumer's health and wellness needs. And for this, I am extremely proud and extremely grateful. I also would like to take a moment to remind you of our strategic initiatives, which are driving our strong performance to date and will continue to do so for the long term. We have three key growth pillars. The first is to continue to maintain and grow our market market leading share in the domestic Canadian market. The second is to grow existing and new opportunities in in, in our international markets. And third is specifically building our business in China, which we believe to be our largest organic growth opportunity. Each of these pillars is supported by the continued global trend and consumer focus on health and wellness, which was growing before the onset of the pandemic, accelerated through the pandemic, and will continue to grow as, as consumers continue to regularly engage and participate in the category. Our best-in-class marketing and consumer insights ensure we continue to educate and engage both new and existing consumers, supporting them on their health and wellness journey. We continue to innovate, introducing new products such as our new apple cider vinegar gummy. We engage with Health Canada to develop the safest high-potency vitamins, as with our first-to-market vitamin D2500IU, for example. We also continue to build our e-commerce channels and expand our distribution footprint both domestically and internationally ensuring that our products are available everywhere the consumer gives them permission to be. In support of our growth in China earlier in the quarter, we announced the addition of Mei Ye to our board of directors. Mei is a management consultant based in Shanghai, and her extensive experience assisting brands with their China entry and growth will be an asset as we strive to realize our potential in this very important market. Also supporting these pillars is the potential to acquire brands to help grow our footprint in more mature and international markets. We continue to review and assess opportunities for acquisition in markets such as the U.S. and Western Europe, looking for brands with quality reputations to help accelerate our geographic growth. We are very excited about the opportunities ahead of us and continue to believe in the strength of our strategy, our ability to deliver long-term growth. Now turning to our strong Q2 results. Second quarter revenue rose by nearly 19% to $111 million and adjusted EBITDA increased at a similar rate to over $22 million. In the Jameson brand segment, second quarter revenue increased 11% to over $82 million, with domestic growth of plus 12%. This was due to inventory replenishment supporting our consumer demand, pricing, and timing of orders from retailer and distributor partners ahead of our third quarter seasonal demand and promotional calendar. International continued to show strong strong growth and was up nearly 22% on a constant currency currency basis and up 8% in Canadian currency when accounting for the strengthening Canadian dollar. This was driven by orders ahead of our seasonal demand and order replenishment for unique international products. Strategic partners' revenue increased 49% to over $28 million, mainly due to production timing of customer products throughout the year. In addition to strong top-line growth, we drove solid gross margin expansion in both our branded and strategic partner segments, despite the impact of incremental costs related to safety measures in our facilities, such as rapid COVID testing and higher temporary logistics costs being realized industry-wide. In the second quarter, Jamison Brand's gross margin improved by 70 basis points, while the gross margin and strategic partners increased 100 basis points. We saw a slight decrease in consolidated gross margin, reflecting the timing of and proportional growth of, related to our strategic partner segment in relation to our branded growth. At the consumer level, pricing and volume trends domestic have remained consistent with our expectations. Consumption through Q2 showed strength versus the panic buying period last year as consumers have continued to remain in the category and expand usage from immunity to other categories. We saw continued strength Of vitamin D for immunity and other categories such as sleep, stress, and beauty from within. Our capital investments are progressing well. We have added tablet manufacturing and packaging capabilities to our facility in Scarborough and significantly expanded our blending and tablet compression capacity at our Rhodes Drive facility in Windsor, providing the production capacity to meet our long term customer and consumer needs. The proactive approach and dedication of our team and the safety measures we have implemented to date have been critical in allowing us to continue to service our customers. We are expanding our full-year performance expectation for 2021 by increasing the midpoint of our revenue and earnings guidance. Our results would not have been possible without the incredible efforts of our team to push through this third wave of the pandemic and ensure we continue to drive our brands forward. We remain focused on the health and safety of our team and our communities. As we continue to work towards our vision of improving the world's health and wellness. With that, I'm gonna turn the call over to Chris to discuss the second quarter's financial results in more detail. Chris, over to you. Thank you very much,
3: Mike, and good afternoon, everyone. As Mike mentioned, we had a very strong quarter of growth as consumers remained focused on their physical and mental well being. In the second quarter, revenue increased 18.6% to $110.6 million, driven by continued growth across our Jamison Brands and Strategic Partners segments. Revenue for the Jamison Brands segment increased 10.9% to $82.4 million, including 11.7% growth in domestic revenue, reflecting inventory replenishment to support continued consumer demand, pricing, and the timing of orders ahead of our third-quarter seasonal demand. International revenue for Jamison brands increased by 21.6% on a constant currency basis, or 7.8% on a reported currency basis. International distributor customers accelerated order timing ahead of seasonal demand and continued to replenish non-immunity and unique international products. As implied, our reported international revenues were impacted by a significant increase in the strength of the Canadian dollar. Revenue in our strategic partner segment grew 48.9% to $28.2 million, due primarily to production timing of our customer branded products. In each of our segments, gross profit and gross profit margin improved year over year due to increased volumes and including capital-related operating efficiencies. These gains were partially offset by incremental health and safety measures and increased ocean freight and logistics costs. Consolidated gross profit margin decreased by 60 basis points to 34.7% due entirely to segment mix and the timing of higher strategic partner revenues. In the Jamison brand segment, our second quarter gross profit margin was 70 basis points higher than the prior year due to volume-driven efficiencies partially offset by increased transportation costs, ongoing operating costs of our new third-party logistics provider, and the additional safety measures and business continuity costs as we continue to manage the risk and challenges of operating in a COVID-19 environment. In the strategic partners segment, volume-driven efficiencies drove a 100 basis point margin increase. Selling, general and administrative expenses were $21.2 million in the second quarter, up fractionally on a reported basis. Normalized SG&A was $19.7 million. 16.5% higher reflecting additional resources to support our strategic initiatives and international marketing primarily focused on brand building in China. Normalized SG&A excludes specified costs related to COVID-19 which were 20.5 million dollars lower than the second quarter of the prior year. Specified costs in the second quarter of 2021 were 1.6 million dollars primarily due to COVID safety measures implemented at our facilities during the third wave, including a voluntary two-week closure of our Scarborough facility, the establishment of rapid testing programs at each of our manufacturing facilities, wage premiums, and donations in support of our frontline workers. Second quarter operating income increased by 50.3% to $16 million due to higher revenue and gross profit operating margin improved by 300 basis points to 14.5 percent normalized for specified costs in both the current and prior
4: period second quarter
3: adjusted operating income increased by 19.9 percent to 17.8 million while adjusted operating margin improved by 20 basis points. Reported EBITDA increased 52.8% to 19.4 million, while their adjusted EBITDA increased 17.6% to 22.3 million during the second quarter. Adjusted EBITDA margin declined by 20 basis points to 20.2%, as margin improvement in both segments were impacted by, on a consolidated basis by the timing and proportion of strategic partner volumes realized in the quarter. Net earnings of $11.5 million increased 90% from a year ago due to higher revenue and contributions. Adjusted net earnings, which excludes specified costs and foreign exchange, increased 21.8% to $12 million. Our earnings per diluted share was $0.28, and adjusted earnings per diluted share was $0.29 for the second quarter of 2021. A reconciliation of adjusted EBITDA and adjusted net earnings is provided at the end of today's press release announcing the second quarter results. Turning to the balance sheet and cash flow, we generated $5.1 million in cash from operations, during the second quarter compared to $14.4 million in the year earlier period. Cash from operating activities before working capital considerations of $16.1 million was $6.3 million higher due to increased earnings in the quarter. Cash invested in working capital increased by $15.6 million, driven by higher international branded and strategic partner sales which carry longer trade terms, as well as the timing of tax installments. These amounts were partially offset by accelerated inventory purchases earlier in their year, resulting in lower purchases during the second quarter of 2021. Capital expenditures during the second quarter was $6.7 million. As we continue to expand our tablet manufacturing and packaging capabilities, and capacities to meet higher demands. We distributed approximately $5 million in dividends during the second quarter, and we ended the quarter with over $109 million in cash and available operating lines. Based on our strong cash position and earnings growth, today we have announced a 20% increase in our dividend from 12.5 cents to 15 cents per common share for our upcoming quarterly distribution. This increase reflects our target payout ratio of between 40 and 50% of adjusted net earnings. Now turning to guidance. The company is increasing its outlook for fiscal 2021 and anticipates net revenue of between 435 million and $445 million. This compares to 421 million to $438 million previously announced, representing top line growth in the range of approximately 8 to 10%. Adjusted EBITDA is expected to be between $97 and $100 million, narrowed from our previous range of $95 to $100 million, reflecting growth of approximately 10 to 13.5%. Adjusted earnings per common share, per diluted common share, is expected to be $1.27 to $1.32, compared with $1.24 and $1.32 previously announced. Our updated guidance reflects higher demand for domestic branded and strategic partner sales, which are partially offset by reduced efficiency from enhanced temporary safety measures as a result of the third wave of the pandemic in Canada, and supply chain premiums currently experienced globally. Revenue in the Jameson brand segment is expected to increase between approximately 4% and 7% compared to a very strong fiscal 2020, and reflects the expected impact of a strengthening Canadian dollar on our international sales, which are primarily denominated in U.S. dollars. Domestic branded revenues are expected to grow between 3 and 6%, and we expect our international volume growth to continue to be strong at 20 to 25% growth on a constant currency basis. Revenue and strategic partners segment is expected to increase between 20 and 25%, while normalized SG&A expenses, expenses are expected to increase by approximately 8 to 12%. In spite of incremental COVID-19 costs and the impact of health and safety measures on our production efficiencies, we anticipate to grow our gross profit margins in fiscal 2021 in both our Jamison branded and strategic partner segments. Each of our segment growth profit margins are expected to increase by approximately 100 basis points, largely due to our ongoing capital investments and volume driven efficiencies. We will realize further margin expansion in future years as the pandemic risk subsides and we're able to scale back on temporary COVID-19 safety measures and when commodity related cost increases subside. Focusing on the third quarter, we expect the following factors to impact our results. We expect domestic Jamison brand segment growth between three and 5% in the third quarter of 2021 reflecting the timing of inventory replenishment at retail and our distribution partners in the second quarter of of 2021. Our international branded volumes are expected to be consistent with the third quarter of 2020 on a constant currency basis, reflecting strong replenishment and the timing of shipments earlier in 2021. We expect strategic partner revenues in the third quarter, of 2021 to increase between 15 and 20%, reflecting demand for our consumer customers' branded products. Normalized SGNA is expected to increase between 5 and 10% in support of our strategic initiatives and international marketing efforts. In closing, I would like to thank the entire team here at Jamison Wellness for their unwavering commitment to ensuring our consumers' needs are met, continuing to manage the risk and challenges in this COVID environment. Their dedication has been very inspiring and a key driver in our success to date. With that, let me turn the call back to the operator, Nora, for Q&A.
5: Thank you, sir ladies and gentlemen
1: if you would like to ask a question please signal by pressing star one on your telephone keypad if you are using a speakerphone please make sure your mid function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment once again please press star one to ask a question we'll pause for just a moment to assemble a queue we'll take our first question from sabahad han from rbc capital markets your line is open. Please state your question.
6: Great. Thanks and good afternoon. Um, I guess just on the international market, can anybody really comment on how those the revenues in those markets are trending if we exclude the impact of the translation?
3: Well, we still believe that in totality our, our guided growth in year is twenty to twenty five percent. So all of the factors that are affecting consumer demand domestically are being experienced very consistently in our largest markets internationally, with, you know, slightly lower demand for immunity being replaced uh, by a broader demand across stress, sleep, multivitamins, and other categories driving the overall basket of our consumers across
4: the world. Okay. And then I guess just on that,
6: um, are you seeing in terms of the mix of sales and uh, revenue even domestically, are you seeing the shift to some of those same things here in Canada? And I guess just broadly speaking, what is driving the uptick
2: in the uh, or the improved outlook for the Canadian domestic market? Yeah. Hey, Sabah, thanks for the question. Yeah. I mean, to so what Chris was talking about a minute ago, we continue to see the new baseline of consumers we've been talking about throughout the pandemic it really remain highly engaged in the category across a lot of, cat- a lot of the categories play in. We saw, you know, obviously immunity had the toughest comps in Q1 and Q2, but actually over our expectations, uh, really driven by the continued strength of vitamin D in the domestic market. Uh, consumers continue to, to stay very diligent in their usage of vitamin D, and more and more consumers are starting to take it. We also saw across other categories uh, to what chris mentioned sleep stress uh, digestion really this 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 trend towards uh wholesome health and wellness or helping us at the core and spreading out across multiple categories as consumers engagement levels uh, rise in the category and we're seeing it here in canada and we're seeing it globally and that is reflected in our guidance for uh for the year to go
6: okay and then just one last one for me i guess under the mix of sales across channels um a lot of other retail categories and including yours are likely impacted by the shift to online are you seeing any sort of change in behavior
2: within the vitamin category or
6: more vitamins being purchased online here in canada
2: yeah i mean we're continuing to see the digital channels um grow at exceptional rates and outpace other other channel growth however we continue to see growth across all channels so the category again is is just growing across the board consumers are highly engaged it's now been, you know, going on 17 or 18 months into this pandemic, where consumers have become much more engaged in the category, and we're seeing continued growth. The the, the 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 digital channels, though, are becoming more important in the category, are growing, and are becoming a larger share for sure. And we continue to invest in all aspects of digital commerce, and we'll continue to do so for the long term, both here in Canada and in in international markets, where where we're seeing the same trends. Are you able to
6: show maybe any parameters on how? Bigger proportion, whether industry sales or yours online might be. I think around the time of the IPO, it was shared that online was only about two percent here in Canada. I just want to see if there's a material change from that.
2: Yeah, I, I, we don't release specific numbers by uh, by channel. I would say it's becoming more and more um, material in our business, and and is is getting close to approaching a double digit type territory for sure, both category wise and uh, for our brands uh, where we 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 lead the category. Okay. Thank you.
4: Thank you.
5: We'll take our next question from
1: Peter Sklar from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Please state your question.
7: Okay. Thank you. Um, um, I think I asked this last conference call, but I wanted to ask it again. Is could you explain the high SG&A growth rate you have? I think this year, projecting SG&A dollars are going to grow eight to twelve percent, and in your guidance for next year, it's eight to it's uh, the five to ten percent. So, why why is the SG&A growth rate so high?
3: So, growth for the current year is really about resources and really focusing our strategic uh, re, re, sorry focusing resources around our strategic initiatives. That's rounding out our international business focusing on China specific capabilities, rounding out our e-commerce and our digital capabilities, as well as a significant investment that we called out in marketing for our international business, primarily focused on China. Those, you know, that's that's the key driver of our SGA growth um, on a full year basis. You had some timing impact the current quarter, the current quarter Quarter growth was ahead of that, and our growth for q three, which you mentioned is five to ten percent, is actually slightly below that uh, that full year rate, and it just based it's based on the timing of marketing activities and promotions that uh, impact that spend
4: Okay. Um, so while we're on China, I know you don't provide.
7: Um, you know, any segmented information on on what your numbers are in the market. But can you just kind of talk a little bit about, like, what phase are you in a market, in market the market in China? Like, is it still the building process and net-net you're losing money or do you make money? And kind of where are you on the evolution of the maturation of that market?
3: Do you want me to take that mic or do you want
4: to? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead.
3: So we, just to be clear, we make money um, in China today. Um, We are very strict around our pricing and investment parameters. Um, And and we sell, we do like, we sell into a distributor there that is responsible for also investing and promoting the Jameson brand there. So, um, you know, we're very confident about our path. Um, As we announced in our press release this quarter, we really want to get closer to the consumer in China. We are looking at a number of different models with the end of our distribution agreement coming at the end of 2022, how we can get closer to the driver's seat in China. Um, You know, and that's all, you know, all that information will be to come as we ferret out um, the final structure and a transition plan from the current structure to wherever we end up.
2: Okay. Yeah, um, I, th- I, I think to, so I can I just add a little con- a little context from from where we are in maturation level. I, I would I would think of it this way: we are at a point in our life cycle in China where we now have a business that is at a scale that has 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 shown us that we have a consumer that highly resonates with our brand. We built the scale of which we think we can. Ac- accelerate growth from here, and that's why you're seeing some of the increased investments of which you talked about in your first question around SG&A, and, and Chris, Chris responded, and some of it is marketing, most notably in China. So we've gotten to a point where we know our brand resonates. We know we can accelerate it from here, and now it's just a matter of doing it in a way that is responsible, that allows us to keep making money, and into some sort of a model as a... Okay. Um, and
4: then... Uh...
7: My last question was on um, on price. I believe, you, I believe you've said that domestically in Canada you've put through price uh, on your branded business. And like, when did the price happen and what was your justification to the retailers and like what kind of pushback and how well is the price sticking?
1: Pardon the interruption. There is a disconnection from the Mike Pilato's line. I will reconnect the line now. Please be on Thank standby. Thank you.
3: No problem. So, I'll take that, Peter. So, we price, as you know, every two to three years. Taking price in the retail market in Canada is a huge effort. And it needs to be justified with our cost increases. And that was the amount of effort and data we used with our retail partners in Canada justify that price. The price increase to our customers was effective the first quarter. It's been fully passed through now to all of our primary customers in the Canadian market, um, and and that's that's the area of the business where it is the most difficult to price. We price internationally and on a strategic partner basis much more frequently as input demand. So, you know, I, I, as cost continue to arrive, we will still monitor that and we will monitor the need to continue to push pricing in the future, ensuring that we meet our margin expansion uh, goals and ensuring that that leverage, that benefit of running more volume through our existing infrastructure drives profitability and that costs are covered with cost with price increases in the future.
7: And, Chris, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Did you say that price yep. domestically is is only increased once every two to three years?
3: That's what we've done uh, typically in the past. So over the seven years I've been here, we've priced three times.
2: Okay. Okay, that's all I have. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, Chris, I'm back. Sorry about that. My call dropped. Yeah, no worries.
8: Why well, I'm here.
5: We'll take our next question from George Dumay
1: from Scotia Bank. Your line is open. Please state your question.
9: Yeah. Um, good afternoon, guys, and, and thanks for that. Uh, just kind of following up on, on pricing. Um, if you look at the, 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 the branded domestic segment, I think it reported 12% growth in the quarter. Um, you know, the volume versus price. Is there anything you're willing to share, maybe in terms of mix? Is it it's a half half, or just kind of wondering how much price you put through this corner?
8: Yeah,
2: you know, we, we're not breaking it out by, by pillar, but I, I would say, Josh, we saw growth across three different pillars in the Canadian market, and uh, all of them all of them performed quite quite well for us. The first is a level of consumer growth across what we know were some very tough comps coming off the panic buying period of a year ago. So we did see organic consumption growth, which we are quite uh, happy with and quite proud of. We did see the implementation and the impact of the pricing, which Chris was just talking about. And then we also saw the rebuild of some inventory on high-demand products. Um, I don't know if you've been in and out of stores over the last 18 months, but, you know, you see SKUs running in and out of inventory based on, on demand and, and ability to produce. And as we've been able to ramp up our production based on our capacity, uh, expansion, and capital uh, investment, we've been able to rebuild some of the inventory levels on those high-demand products so that, that the consumer continue to get them on the shelf ongoing. So all three of those, we saw, we saw saw we saw driven by all three of them.
4: And typically, our just wondering rationale.
2: Sorry, I could not. I could not hear that question. I'm really sorry, Josh. It was it was cutting in and out.
9: Oh, sorry. You're breaking I'll, I'll up. Of again. Sorry about that. I'll go in again. Um, I was just saying the business typically benefits from from operating leverage. Um, so I'm just wondering, what's the rationale? behind kind of raising sales guidance more than the EBITDA guidance for the year?
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, we, we did see some margin improvements in both divisions, branded and uh, strategic partners. And some of it was definitely driven by the operating leverage and, uh, and scale that we've been able to build from a manufacturing perspective. As we talked about in the, in the call and in our release, we have seen incremental costs around uh, the third wave of, of COVID. We did have to implement some more safety measures and we are seeing some temporary Increases uh, in costs across the supply chain, and we don't really know where that's going to go moving forward. So we're continuing to monitor that. We believe them to be temporary. We believe we priced for the permanent, uh, permanent cost increases earlier in the year, and uh, we'll continue to monitor it. It, it. it comes down to kind of last quarter, too, though, and the guidance we gave coming into, our, coming into the year is we're also trying to be responsible here in a time where there is some unknowns and some volatility, most notably around COVID. Uh, you know, coming out of Wave Three, talk about Wave Four. Uh, where does it all go from here? We feel confident in the numbers that we've guided to, but want to remain uh, responsible in in our outlook as well, based on what what we
9: see. Thanks for that, Mike. And maybe a final one for Chris. Uh, a substantial drag in working capital in the quarter. Um, anything you want to share there in terms of color? And I'm just trying to get a sense of um, you know, maybe anything you want to share in terms of actual free cash flow growth. Is that is that something we're going to see maybe uh, next year or just thoughts around free cash in general, given, I guess, the, the sizable working capital requirement?
3: Yeah, it, it is really timing related. You see significant growth in the first half, um, particularly in our strategic partners and our international segments. Those, those segments carry anywhere between 60- and 120-day terms. So in some cases, you have sales from the first quarter that were paid right at the beginning of the third quarter. So it is highly timing-orientated, especially in AR. We expect full-year investments in working capital to be high single-digit, low-double-digit investments. So you'll see a significant normal that over the next two quarters.
4: Agreed. Thanks.
5: We'll take our next question from Andrew Leno from National Bank.
1: Your line is open. Please state your question.
10: Hi, good evening. Uh, Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, A good quarter. uh, uh, Good quarter, there, uh, guys. Congrats. Seven questions uh, for me. I'll start uh, with. uh, If you can talk a little bit about, you you mentioned inventory replenishment uh, as driving sales in Q2. Uh and uh, we've heard some reports that, that retailers are keeping larger inventories uh, just to kind of, you know, mitigate uh, any, any movement in sale the volatility. Uh I was wondering if you if you have seen anything uh like that with your partners and then if you do see something like that, you can talk to the to your capacity to, to uh uh not only replenish but keep larger inventory at your partners. Thanks.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, we, I, I, I'm unaware of anything in terms of them keeping higher levels of of inventory. Uh, injury. what I can say though is, you know, if you if you look back at the last three or year and a half, I would say of, of demand, you know, we we were producing in some cases, and we talked about this in some previous quarters, almost hand to mouth. I mean, the demand was so high, and our capacity was struggling to keep up that we were literally shipping product; it was getting to shelf and and selling almost almost just in time. So as we've expanded our capacity, we've made the investments in capital, as we've talked about, we now have a capacity level that is allowing us to rebuild a level of inventory back into retailer and distributor partners' warehouses to to keep up with demand, And also on our end, some, from a safety stock perspective. So we're getting back to more normalized inventory levels that we're used to. I don't know of any increases in the market that, that I've heard of specific on our category, but uh, we definitely are set up now in terms of our capacity levels to keep up. Uh, versus where we were a year ago or where we were even heading into uh, into the pandemic so quite proud of the work I've had the the great privilege of touring all of our facilities where we've made these investments and it's quite phenomenal to both see the progress visually in terms of the investment in the equipment and the machinery but then also the amount of products coming off the line and how the team is working diligently uh, continually to just continue to make more product for us and really really help us get back into a strong inventory position. So quite proud of it. We feel good about it, and we think we're in a good spot moving forward. Oh, great. Uh, thanks for the color, Mike. Uh, my other question
10: is it's a, around costs, and, and uh, it was discussed uh, by, by previous questions, but then you also talked about the high, some uh, elevated supply chain costs. Uh, were those included or were they part of the justification uh, for the price increases uh, that you passed in Q1 uh, or not? And, and if they persist, uh, how successful do you think you can be in passing them on to your customers?
2: Uh, yeah. So what, you know, we undergo an annual view here of all costs um, and look at what we need to do to protect the margins of our company. And we have a track record of protecting our margins quite well and expanding our margins and growing our margins, frankly. So, um, as we came into this year, we looked at all the costs that we thought would be permanent. Some were some logistics costs. We, we priced for them in market, as we've talked about, and it's reflected now in, 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 in market as, as discussed. We will continue to assess all situations from a cost perspective and continue to protect margins at all costs. Right now, we see the incremental costs we're seeing as temporary. We think that they will fade, and we would not take a pricing action on what we see as temporary. We will, however, continue to do our annual review and continue to do the responsible thing for all stakeholders and ensure that our business remains strong, both from a top line margin and bottom line perspective.
10: Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, thanks again, Mike. And uh, my last question is, uh, if you can talk a little bit. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, acquisitions, uh, particularly in US and uh, and Western Europe, as the possibility. You didn't mention China. Are, are we or am I to interpret that you're looking at more organic growth uh, opportunities in China, or is that still TBD? Or how are you viewing the, the growth opportunity there?
2: Well, right now, I mean, we have a real opportunity with the brand that we own, right? Jameson is building um, building resonance with consumers, building awareness, building loyalty. We feel really good about our brand and we feel really good about where we can take it. And we have we we've got a scale of business there now. We've got a core of which we can build off of. So, you know, acquisitions are not top of the list for but I can't tell you they're totally off the list. I mean, for the right opportunity uh, that makes sense for us strategically, of course, we would take a look at it and, uh, and, and run it through our disciplined uh, process and approach. Uh, you know, we're more interested in if we were to make an acquisition, make one in a market where we don't have a presence right now, where building a brand organically will, will be, you know, could be, oh, could be quite expensive and really purchase a beachhead into a country of, of scale, of a, of a developed country of scale that we're not in today to accelerate our growth on top of the big organic opportunities we have in terms of continuing to grow our domestic business here in Canada at historical rates or higher and continuing to build a, a very scaled business in the China market okay great uh, uh, just, just to add- thanks uh, yeah Chris you got something
3: yeah on? just to add to that Mike is that we do have the option to acquire our distributor in China at the end of 2022 Um, And technically, that could be an acquisition in China, but it it does focus on growing the Jamison brand in China. So that would be one caveat to what Mike had mentioned. Yeah. Great. Uh, Thanks. Thanks, Chris.
4: Uh, Good. Thank you.
5: We'll take our next question from Grime Kynlo from Eight Capital. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
11: Yeah. Hi. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, Just. uh, Firstly, to follow up on, um, you mentioned some of the consumer behavior about the broadening of the basket. Are you seeing any early signs of a potential reversion back to stronger demand for immunity or, or, or signs of that into the fall and winter uh, with the emergence of the Delta variant and the like? Um, and, and I guess as part of that, um, is Jameson agnostic to that or is there any sort of benefits from mix shifting over time as we head into the back half of the year here? Thanks
2: yeah I, I I grant based on all the global insights that we have uh, that we track what, what I would say is you are seeing some strengthening of immunity in markets where you're starting to hear of wave four or or the delta variant uh, causing a wave four so we are starting to hear some noise around around that um, you know we we we're prepared if it happens here in Canada obviously and for us you know we've talked about this a few different times we're kind of mix agnostic we we're very consistent in our margins we're very Disciplined in our pricing uh, in terms of building margins across the categories, so we're kind of agnostic. We continue to read the demand signals, though globally and here in the domestic market, to make sure we're making the right products at the right time for our consumers. And based on the incremental capacity we now have, uh, based on our investments, it, it is it has become a little easier for us to pivot and change, and make those uh, make those shifts as the demand uh, signals change.
11: Okay, understood. Appreciate the color there. Then just um, one other follow-up regarding uh, the comments made prior uh, about China and trying to get closer to the, uh, to the customer there. Um, referencing your late June press release um, where you discussed the three-pronged approach between cross-border e-commerce, domestic retail, and e-commerce – how does that three pronged approach uh, factor in with with that overall goal of getting closer to the customer? Is there a certain channel that you want to prioritize? You want to lean into? Um, and any further details about you know what the potential opportunities are um, or risks as you reach the end of that uh, that agreement at the end of two thousand twenty two? Any color of that would be appreciated. Thank you.
8: Yeah, you want you want to take that, Chris?
3: Sure. So so, you know, I think. You, When we look at our mix in China, certainly the majority of our volume today goes through that cross-border e-commerce channel. But I think the opportunity that Jamison has to differentiate itself is using our industry-leading registrations, international um, brand registrations, to drive growth in that domestic market. Um, And that includes the domestic e-commerce channel as well. So, you're gonna see investments and you're gonna see additional resources to help us facilitate that as we progress. Um, you know, there's gonna be, uh, you know, a transition from our existing distribution model to a new model. We can't prognosticate what that's gonna look like today. We're doing our due diligence to determine what is the best for Jamison as a whole. Um, And we'll be, you know, we'll be able to provide more information as we get further up the road. But at the end of the day, um, I think it was clear in our press release that we do want to be in control of our business in China. So I would expect that distribution model to change uh, over the next couple of years.
4: Understood. Thank you very much for that. Cheers.
5: Our next question comes from the line of Tanya Consalves from Concord. Your line is
1: open. Please state your question.
0: Thank you and good evening, guys. Uh, first question for me Are your domestic branded profit margins impacted at all by promotions at the retailer level, like the ones you discussed um, upcoming in Q3? So, uh, y-
2: year over year, uh, I would say no, Tanya. So, we have a very robust uh, promotional agenda that we have throughout the year, uh, baked into and built into our business over over decades, working with our partners and partnerships, uh, coming into every year with a joint business plan, and then tweaking and altering through the year based on where the consumer is moving and shifting. So, you know, year over year, comp-wise, I would not say so. I think what we're referring to is just we have more of a seasonal business in Q3. So, uh it, it typically is a bigger quarter for us. You typically see higher promotion uh promotions in that quarter versus a Q two, for example. Uh and we shipped in some products in Q two to get ready for those promotional activities uh in, in Q three. So I, I I would I would I would talk about it more in that way uh than, than margin erosion um in Q three versus other quarters. Year over year it's, it's it's a consistency there in how we spend. Okay,
0: understood, understood. And um Sticking on gross margin and you talked a little bit about your price increases in Canada as well as internationally, are you able to quantify at all what the gross profit margin differential is between Canada and China, or what the price differential is between those two
4: regions? So we
3: sell um, based on a price list that assumes the current a, a, a certain exchange rate. And at that exchange rate, our margins are agnostic between domestic sales and international sales. As the Canadian dollar strengthens, our significant exposure on the purchasing side um, receives a benefit from lower, uh, lower translation of goods and our US dollar sales uh, decline Um, based on a lower translation currency into Canadian dollars. So um, in the current year, you would see lower margins in the international business, but that's exactly offset by higher margins in the domestic business. So that's kind of how we price from a long-term perspective. If we were to see a permanent move in, um, in exchange, then we would rebalance that target margin by geography, but because we hedge that net exposure between US dollar purchases and US dollar sales, we don't have significant exposure to exchange rates um, in the year, and that protects the overall branded company's margin irrespective of the domicile in which we sell. Perfect, it
0: makes perfect sense. Thank you, Chris. Um, okay, next. I I know through the pandemic a lot of the China growth that you guys experienced was through
5: digital channels. Can you provide any color on
0: how the brick and mortar
5: rollout is going in China?
3: I, we continue yeah, to, to, to build. One? Yeah, we continue Go to clear. build distribution in the drug channel. We continue to perform exceptionally well in Costco. Costco has their own expansion plans in China. We, you know, we look to continue to grow domestically with them in China as well. And we're also looking to other international retailers with club stores in China to grow our distribution footprint. And we're also looking forward to uh, Costco moving online in China. So it's all part of that growth uh continuum, and us continuing to build the basket of available stocks in the domestic market. And I think one of the reasons why I'm most excited about our opportunities in China.
0: Perfect. Okay, that's good color. Um, And then lastly, and um, apologies if I'm mistaken in this, but I think I saw your CapEx jumped pretty significantly in Q2 up to like over $6 bucks. Was there um, a specific reason for this or was it just the facility expansion that it had to do with?
3: Yeah, so we are significantly expanding our packaging and tablet manufacturing capabilities at our Scarborough facility. And we're also adding to blending and compression uh, capabilities at Rhodes. We expect to spend up to $25 million in total capital in fiscal 2021 to ensure that even if there is another um, you know, more significant pandemic, that even operating in a constrained fashion, we have the capacity to meet the demand of our consumers.
0: And will that $25 million all flow through your CapEx line your or your acquisitions of PP&E or will, will it be capitalized differently?
3: it should all be, uh, it should all show, show up on the cash flow. but And that, that's my mix between intangible and capital, but it's gonna predominantly be uh, capital in nature. Perfect.
5: All right, that's all for me.
4: Thank you so
5: much, gentlemen. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Justin
1: Keywood from Stifel. Your line is open. Please state your question.
12: Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Just on the comments of the consumers um, expanding to additional SKUs beyond immune boosting, I'm wondering if you could provide some context to the magnitude of additional spend for these consumers, you know, compared to the initial purchase.
2: Sorry, you're talking about the consumer spend?
12: Yeah, the new new consumers that have entered into the market and, and they're expanding to additional SKUs. Like, what is that magnitude of additional spend?
2: Well, it's it's not just new consumers; it's also the existing consumers we had pre-pandemic, and we're seeing spend, uh, units spent per consumer, uh, units units spent per consumer or household increase for for a few reasons. They're either becoming much more compliant in the uh, regimen that they were taking pre-pandemic, so they're not taking any breaks. Or if they run out of stock, they're making sure they they buy more right away. They're taking it every day. They're expanding the usage, for example, of vitamin D throughout their household to other users. Uh, and then also expanding out to other categories. So, you know, what I would tell you is we, we continue to track the market. We continue to see units per, per consumer continue to grow, as well as units per, or dollars per consumer continue to grow. So I don't have the magnitude of both of those uh, off the top of my head, nor I don't think we would want to release that information. But we are seeing it from both uh, both sides, units and dollars, just as the consumer becomes more engaged and becomes more engaged around, You know, becoming healthy at their core and not just being reactionary or trying to be healthy in one or two areas. Be be healthy from top to bottom at their core to both boost immunity, but also just to be healthier. Um, I think what's interesting as well, I've added some of this color in the past, is you're also seeing some categories that would be the result of a long-going pandemic uh, start to grow. So things like sleep or natural stress relief or natural energy. You know, those are all, those are all results of uh, a highly stressed out uh, consumer base, uh, consumers that have been through a lot for a long time uh, and are really expanding their usage across more categories to be healthier across the board. So it's quite something to see. I, I think the other thing to remember is this has been going on for 16 or 17 months at this point. These behaviors by the consumers, these daily regimens, these daily habits are ingrained in the consumer's lifestyle now. And they're also feeling the benefits of these products over time. Typically, three to four months uh, of a consumer usage day in and day out. We know we have a high level of stickiness and the consumer staying in the category long term. We're we're seeing we're 17 months now. We feel quite confident that they're going to stick, that they're going to stay, and that we'll continue to grow off this new
8: base.
12: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That sounds quite powerful, and thank you for the context. And if I could just uh, fit in one more, just to follow up on uh, M&A I know you mentioned uh, possibly expanding to new geographies and creating a beachhead, but I'm just wondering if there's any particular brands or new product forms that you're seeing domestically that uh, could be an opportunity to acquire?
2: Um, you know, we're not we're not seeing anything new in the domestic market that, uh, you know, is something that is hot on our list to acquire. We do see the continued emergence of some uh, some different formats like, uh, like gummies, for example, and we continue to innovate strong in categories or in formats that we see growing. So we just recently launched apple cider vinegar uh, gummies. We've launched uh, a new turmeric gummy. We continue to expand the lineup around places where the consumer is is going or, or is today. Uh, and we're quite confident that we can meet the consumer needs here in Canada uh, across the board and across all of our different brands without uh, without having to make an acquisition at this point. That being said, we always keep is open. We're always watching. We're always looking. If something interesting were to come up, we definitely would uh, would take a deeper look at it.
12: Okay. Thank you for taking my questions.
4: You're welcome. Thanks.
5: We'll take our next question from John Zamparo from CIBC. Please go ahead, John.
8: Thanks. Good afternoon. I, I just wanted to follow quickly on the previous pricing discussion. um Just just to be clear, the level of pricing you took earlier this year did did that contemplate the level of inflation you're currently seeing, or was that related to a lower level of cost inflation? Sorry, uh,
4: Chris, want to take that?
3: Yeah. So so when we look at our total cost of operating, we typically lock in our most material costs in the fall before the season. So that contract is anywhere from one to three years. So we priced on the basis of our existing contract structure. The costs that we're seeing today, particularly emerging in Q2, were really about surcharges on freight, incremental charges on ocean going freight uh, as well as you know some commodity costs that are included in some of the you know smaller ingredient items that we wouldn't normally contract. We think that they're we think that they're going to be very temporary in nature as like demand for wood and all the, the backup and shipping clears. But it all remains to be seen, and we can provide more insight in a few more quarters when, when we find out what will happen. What we can provide is all of those known costs have been included in our guidance, um, and we feel very comfortable with our position for the rest of 2021.
8: Okay, that's, uh, that's helpful. Thank you. And um, I guess as a follow-up to that, if you do see a meaningful level of cost inflation persist or, or even accelerate over the next 6 to 12 months, what levers do you have at your disposal to offset that? Would you, would you uh, focus on promoting products with higher margins? Is there something else that you can maybe do to, to help offset that level of inflation if it does rise?
3: There, well,
4: there's a number of
3: levers that we have. We certainly can price... Um, you know, that everywhere in the business, if 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 it was absolutely necessary, um, we would prefer to wait to determine that that pricing or that that movement was permanent in nature before we took that pricing to either our customers or to the consumer. Um, but we're talking hypothetics now. And I think what what we have proven over time is that as pricing evolves, we're able to pass that pricing on to our consumer and maintain our margin goals long-term. And that's what we are committed to doing um, you know, through 2021 and
8: beyond. Got it. Okay. And then the last one for me is on capital allocation. Can you just remind us what um, leverage level you'd be comfortable with on any M&A, and uh, how do you think about the dividend in terms of a uh, payout ratio?
3: So uh, for, I'll, I'll deal with the easy one first. Uh, I think for the first time publicly um, in my script I talked about a 40 to 50 percent adjusted EBITDA or adjusted net earnings target for our dividend payout ratio. Um, the 20 percent increase to the uh, expected September distribution reflects uh, reflects that growth in 2021, and we would expect to continue to raise in future periods in a similar manner. Um, from a leverage perspective, we're sitting, um, you know, very strongly under two times levered. I think we would be comfortable going up, probably into the three times levered perspective but not too much higher than that solely to the point where we, we, we feel comfortable in that two to two and a half times range. So we would look to pay that down very quickly after that acquisition so that we kind of got to that two and a half time target within a year of that acquisition. Um, And if it was a scaled acquisition, we certainly wouldn't have any problem um, using equity to assist in maintaining those leverage targets and, um using synergies dra- to drive value for the uh for investors
8: understood okay that's great thank you very much thank we'll
1: you we'll
5: take our last question from derek lassart from td securities your line is
1: open please go ahead
2: yeah thanks good evening everybody um uh, most of my questions have definitely been asked um maybe just one if you if you might um wondering about the success uh, that you guys are having in terms of the new product offerings um, and maybe um, some some color on some of the newer innovations that are coming in the pipeline, yeah, sure, thanks for the question derek we you know we continue to be strong innovators in the category we we continue to be strong innovation year after year, and it is a prime uh, i would say driver of our growth every year we do we do have a growth level every year we expect from innovation so you heard me talk a few minutes ago about some of our innovations we're pretty excited about our apple cider vinegar uh, gummy, our turmeric gummy. Uh, we've launched uh, some some new products around immunity, energy, and digestive under the Jameson brand, which uh, seem to be getting some good distribution and, and, and some strength. On our specialty brand side, we also have uh, launched a robust list of innovations led by our progressive brand line of mushroom products, really to meet some of the needs that we talked about when we were talking about consumer, stre- uh, consumer trends around uh, you know mindfulness, energy, uh, stress relief, naturally, things like that. So the progressive line of mushrooms is now in market. And for the first time ever, we launched a uh, set of new products under our Iron Vegan line, which is our product line that meets the plant-based needs of consumers out there and the plant-based trends. And uh, we, we expanded outside of just protein and launched an energy product uh, and a balance uh, product. So quite quite pleased with that so far and, and, tra- and tracking towards uh, a good year on, on innovation overall. Of course, also our d 2500 You heard me talk about that earlier. We were first to market with the first extra strength vitamin d jameson product in the market uh we did get a lot of early distribution on that uh if you go into costco at least over the last few weeks you'll see us in the front there are pallets uh, extra strength vitamin d and you'll see distribution of that through all of our retail partners across the uh, the chain here in across the channels here in canada and again doing quite well as we've seen the resilience of vitamin d through the uh through the pandemic uh strong vitamin d comps through the uh the strong comp period of uh, of the panic buying period of 2020 and continue to uh, to see vitamin D as, as one of the heroes out of this pandemic long-term in the category for sure.
4: Okay, thanks for that, guys.
2: Thank you, Derek.
5: We have no further questions. I will hand over the call back to Mr. Pilato for any additional
1: closing remarks. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Perfect. Thank you, Nora, and thank you very much, everyone, for joining us to discuss our second quarter 2021 results. As you can see, we are Proud of them. At this time, I, I also want to take just a quick moment and recognize Jason Taffler and his contributions of our board of direct over the past four years. As you saw in the press release effective yesterday, Jason uh, resigned his position on our board in order to focus more time on his family's health. You know, Jason's insight and skills, particularly in the areas of, of e-commerce and marketing, have been invaluable to us. Uh, we continually to work to strengthen our abilities in these areas, and and really, we just want to say we enjoy working with Jason very much and we wish him and his family all the very best. I also want to thank you all again for joining us this evening. We remain very confident in our ability to continue to drive strong results results through these challenging times. And really it's behind our hundred year history, our strong industry capabilities and our brand position in the Canadian and global vitamin, mineral and supplement industry. We're quite proud of what we've been able to deliver through the pandemic and we look forward to speaking with all of you on our next earning calls. I hope you all have a great evening and thank you for your time.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's conference. Thank you everyone for your participation. You may now
1: disconnect.